Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. Amen. I think it, it's a difficult time to have faith. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of things kind of conspiring to make faith difficult these days. I actually think it starts when we're very young. We as, uh, as folks uh, in church trying to raise our children, we, I, I think we don't always do a great thing in that, you know, we teach things like Noah's Ark as this cute little story, you know, because it has bunnies and giraffes and, you know, it has all these wonderful animals involved and they all get on the big boat and they make silly movies about it with uh, the office guy and <laughs> and uh, you know and then we never really revisit it but if you've ever read the story you know everyone dies right I mean <laughs> everyone gets wiped out I mean it's kind of a it's kind of a rough story really and we never really revisit it and so we set up these these story, we re tell these stories, and then when we get older, we go and reread them. We're like, wait a minute, that isn't the fluffy bunny story I heard when I was a kid. And suddenly we realize it's, this isn't really PG here. This is really not a very good story. And faith is further challenged in our teen years when, I don't know if you, 
those of you who've had teenagers, you know this, that, that everything, they're so literal in everything, right? You have to be so precise in the way you instruct them, right? Like, put your dirty clothes in the hamper and then close the lid, right? You've got to say these things or, or, you know, put on socks that match, right? And <laughs> all of those things. Uh, and, and, there's so, and I've noticed when I was a youth pastor, the, the, the world seems so black and white when you're a teenager that uh, it gets difficult to talk about the nuance of faith and the kind of grayness of faith. And so that begins to be a challenge for teenagers because things are not ultimately as black and white as we would like them to be. And then, of course, when you go to college... You know, everything's up for grabs all of a sudden when you're in college or when you're at that age. You want to open your mind. You want to, you want to do everything that your parents told you not to do. And you want to, you know, you want to undo all of that teaching they did. And so you do all of that and uh, you open your mind. Everyone becomes Buddhist in college and then, uh, you know, and walk away from all of the faith that they've had in other things and anything that smacks of tradition. Uh, is you know shunned for a while, and then you start to have children, and you think, you know, maybe I should go back to church. I got these kids; they need to be raised in the faith, like I was raised in in the faith, right? And and taught uh, all these things. But then you come back to church, and you're kind of wondering, well, what what is my faith? What is <laughs> what is it I really believe in after all these years? And and what is Pastor Curtis talking about up there all the time? I, you know. And throw in there all of that, not only this kind of tradition we have of going to church, leaving church, going to church, and then and all of that, but then throw in the middle of all of that all the, brad, all the bad press that faith gets uh, these days. Idiots like those people down in Kansas that uh, make Baptists look absolutely horrid. Uh, you know, the, the, all the scandals that happen with televangelists and and uh, other religions and all of that of course gets out there and makes people of faith look really naive and stupid and certainly we wouldn't want to be associated with all of that add to that the hostility that comes toward religion these days by by neo-atheists like Richard Dawkins who who has it out for people of faith and and seems to struggle with uh, the idea that faith can be a good thing. In fact, flatly says it's, it's a blight on our humanity. And, uh, you know, add to that the complexity of a life of faith and even just the habits of prayer and study and nurturing faith and going to church on Sunday morning when there are so many other things to do and there's so much more going on in our lives and there's so many things we've got to accomplish and and Sunday's really our only day to to rest and uh, why would I spend an hour in church dealing with all of that add to that the state of the world we live in one can hardly enjoy their bowl of cocoa crisps in the morning without uh, opening up the paper and just being so depressed by what happens you know in in the world and it begs the question in our minds where is god in all of this all of these things conspire together to make a believing person question their faith at the very least 
it helps us to recognize and reminds us of just how difficult it can be to be a person who actively lives out their faith in the world today. The author of 2 Timothy seems to be addressing this very issue as he encourages the leaders in the church to remain faithful in spite of all of the difficulties. This epistle, this letter, what we call as part of what we call the pastoral letters, uh, is ostensibly written by Paul to Timothy, who was one of Paul's mentorees. However, I need to let you know that scholars uh, have pretty much concluded uh, without a doubt that the author was likely not Paul, that it was written much later than when Paul would have been writing. So it was what we call a pseudonymous writer. And even though it's pseudonymous, this should not diminish its timely message either to the original hearers or for us today. The church of 2 Timothy's time had its challenges to faith as well. One issue was there was a lot of different ideas coming into the practice of Christian faith. Some of these ideas were helpful to the gospel. Some of these ideas promoted the gospel a little bit. And some were not all that helpful. In fact, tore at the very core of what Christianity was about. Uh, we've been looking at the, the book of Revelation lately in Bible study, and it, it's written in, in about a similar time. And in fact, uh, one of the churches mentioned was the church at Ephesus, which Timothy was the bishop of, uh, left in charge of by Paul. And one of the things that they were dealing with uh, was the teachings of the Nicolotians. Uh, the Nicolotians were a group that Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, described as leading lives of unrestrained indulgence. And they had this weird belief that if you sinned, that the more you sinned, the more you received God's grace. And so to get more grace, you should sin all the more. Right? And this, so this teaching kind of infiltrated some of the churches, particularly Ephesus and Pergamum, which were two of the churches mentioned in, um, in Revelation. And uh, it was a crazy... I, quite frankly, I'm surprised this didn't catch on better than it did. Uh, you know, I'm surprised this didn't have a huge movement, but uh, at some point people kind of got tired of all that hedonism and just, uh, just moved on to uh, lives of faith. But uh, these kind of unhelpful ideas were leaking into the Christian church. And uh, here, the author of 2 Timothy is begging... Uh, the leaders not to give in to those. In addition to unhelpful ideas, the people of 2 Timothy were dealing with persecution by the Romans and alienation by their Jewish brothers and sisters. By this time, Rome had decided that these, quote, little Christs, the word Christian actually means little Christs, that they were a menace and had to be uh, taken care of. And so, uh, in the time of Nero, they began a, a systematic persecution in Rome, and then later on that persecution became less systematic, but certainly broader in its scope and uh, geography. And uh, so Christians were being persecuted openly in this time. Also, the tensions between the Jews and the Christians had come to a breaking point, and there was a complete rift between the two groups. 
Uh, in the beginning, Christianity was an outcropping of, uh, that came out of the roots of Judaism, but by about 70 AD, they had completely severed their ties and almost nobody coming into Christianity had their roots in Judaism. And all of this served to make the community of Christ feel quite isolated. And then the third thing they were dealing with was the reality that Jesus Christ had not come yet. The early church was expecting Jesus to come like any day now. A couple of weeks at tops. And as time went on, they began to have to grapple with the reality that, wait a minute, I guess Jesus isn't coming yet. But soon, and very soon, Jesus will be coming. And yet, here we are 2,000 years later, still no Jesus. Well, there was a certain amount of dis, you know, disappointment going on in the church of Second Timothy around that and, and coming to terms and adjusting one's faith in order to, to deal with that. So you can see that they had some real challenges to Christian faith as well. And the author of this letter offers us some suggestions about how we can be people of faith in such difficult times. The letter says this. It says, Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from Me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Spirit living in us. Hold to the good teaching. You know, i got to say, part of the problem we have today is that there's a lot of bad teach. Bad, there's bad theology out there all over the place. And in fact, it sells millions and millions of dollars worth of books. Bad theology sells. Good theology is a lot more complicated and doesn't, it doesn't make for a good summer read. It's something you really have to, you really have to want it to get some good theology out there these days. You have to really dig for it. The reason Richard Dawkins is so angry with faith has to do with bad theology. And every, this is what frustrates me about neo-atheism is it's never talking about me. I mean, that's good too, I suppose. But it's never talking about the faith I have. It's always talking about this very bad theology out there. And quite frankly, the folks who would have us run away from faith are using the exact same bad approach to the Bible that the people who are developing bad theology are using. We, we call that in the business hermeneutics, with the way of interpreting the Bible. And the bad hermeneutics that give us ideas uh, you know, that bring about condemnation and shame and, and you know, these people are going to hell and these people aren't and, and all of that business that makes everyone so disgusted with Christians. All of that bad hermeneutics is the exact same thing that Bill Maher and, and, and Richard Dawkins use. It's the exact same hermeneutic they use to say faith is nonsense. I wish you know, someone would have a discussion about rational, life-affirming, uh, uh, loving, inclusive faith that brings about such good things, not only in our personal lives, amen, where I would be lost without my faith. 
Not only the things that bring about good things in my life, but the things that bring about transformative actions in the world that make the world a better place that's born out of faith. Need I remind Richard Dawkins that it was faith that motivated Martin Luther King to stand up and march. Amen? So, anyway, my tirade there. But my point is this. (laughs) Good teaching yields good faith. Amen? Good teaching yields good faith. The, The problem with bad theology is that it often paints us into a theological corner and it becomes this house of cards. Can I get any more metaphors in here? It becomes this house of cards that will topple over at the first good wind. I used to... I used to work with this woman who was a she was an organist in one of our churches, and she was um, she was a diehard creationist, and because for her and I you know I I don't I don't begrudge her this the, I understand her thinking for her if Genesis was not literally true then the rest of it just kind of didn't make any sense. And she, and you know, oddly, she worked. She was the secretary at the anthropology department at Weber State College, <laughs> and and so she was constantly having to grapple with the science that said, no, the world, the world is not six thousand years old, and she had she had to create this entire narrative to make that work, and and what scares me about that for her is that if something comes along and pulls one of those cards out, her entirety of faith is going to fall because of the bad theology that she is basing her whole faith on. Right? And, I don't, you know, and I'm scared for her for that. I'm scared for her. Good theology or good teaching yields good theology. Never be scared of exploring the realities of the Bible. Don't be scared by the fact that this was not written by Paul. Because it's not who writes these words that have made it last for 2,000 years. It's what it says. Amen? It's what it says. And the life-affirming message that comes from it. And the voice of God speaking to you through it. It doesn't matter that... that it was meant to be... It doesn't matter that it was written later than Paul. Okay? So, don't be scared of good, hard teaching and theology. It will yield a stronger, more significant, and deeper faith. Amen? Amen? I didn't... What? <laughs> Am I here alone? <laughs> that's okay. If you don't agree, that's fine, I suppose. Uh Hold to also to the not only hold to the good teaching that you've received, hold to the love and faith of Christ. Jesus had faith in certain ideas. God is love. The kingdom of God is grounded in God's love, and it should be shared. Sins are forgiven so that right relationship, shalom, can exist between people and between us and God. These ideas were so real to Christ that He was willing to suffer execution on the cross for them. And so potent were these ideas that the cross could not stop them. 
Sometimes it's not the big, hairy questions we really need to deal with, right? Is there a God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Will I go to heaven? What's, what do we do about evil in the world? All of those kinds of things. Sometimes it has nothing to do. You know, was Jesus God or was he something else? And who, you know, at some point you kind of go, who cares? The things that Jesus stood for are good things. I would say, even if you don't believe in God, be a follower of Jesus. Because being a follower of Jesus means that you will strive and work to make this world more like the kingdom of God Jesus lived and died for. And that idea rose again on the third day and lives and breathes in us today. Amen? That's why we worship a risen Christ. Because the kingdom of God is realized in the teachings of Jesus. And realized when we embrace being a follower of Christ. Quite frankly, if you don't know whether there's a God or not, it doesn't matter. Just be a follower of Jesus anyway. Trust me on this. You're going to love it. It's, you, the world will be better. You'll be better. I'll like you better. You'll like me better. It'll all be good, right? And my point is this, is that if we lean on the love and the faith of Christ, you know, some of those big hairy answers kind of fall into place. But if we lean on the love and the faith of Christ, we'll be pointed in the right direction and the world will be a better place. Amen? Amen. Finally, uh, guard the good treasure that you have been given with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I think we talk ourselves out of believing the truth of our own experiences and the things that we, we have known to be true within our own experiences. Things we can't explain. Things we don't tell everybody because they might think we're a little weird. You know what's funny? Uh, you know, there's probably a dozen of you out there who have had incredible, unexplained experiences that have contributed to your faith. And you know what? I bet I'm the only one who knows it. <laughs> I'm the only one who knows that all 12 of you or so have had these miraculous experiences. And because you're a little weird, you know, you don't want to be, seem a little weird, you don't tell each other these things. But it's more common than you know, <laughs> right? You've had, a lot of us have had pretty profound experiences, spiritual experiences that tell us that God is there. That God is really there. And that there is something special happening inside of us that comes from out here somewhere. There are moments, I call them, and, and most of us have probably had at least these moments, these mountaintop experiences, when God seems so, even if it isn't some you know, otherworldly miracle that happens, there's just these moments when God seems so real and so present that we could never deny it. You know what I have to tell you? Those don't happen every day. Even me, and you know, I just sit around here praying all day, and, you know, doing pious things. That's all I do. 
And I, even I, <laughs> do not have these, uh, these mountaintop experiences every day. They're rare. They're rare. They, you know, uh, I, for, I go looking for them, fortunately, and even, even someone who looks for them, I get, I, at camp, there's always these great experiences, and a few other times during the year, a couple of times in worship, I really just, I feel God's presence so powerfully. And you know what? That experience gets me through the rest of the time. Those experiences where I can say without a doubt, God is right there, and I can feel it, and I know it. I hang on to those for the rest of the time when I'm kind of going, God, where are you? Are you there? I mean, this is what faith is. Faith is being able to say, you know what, I'm not always feeling it right. You know, I'm not feeling it right now. But I'm going to pray. And I'm going to count on the reality that God is listening to me because I've experienced it before. And, and it's changed things for me. Faith is being able to hang on in the dark times, in the difficult times. And don't let the hard times take away the gift of the good things or the experiences you've had. Hang on to them and let them carry you through. Oh, it's a hard time to have faith these days. It's a hard time. I think there's a lot that challenges our faith. But if we hold to good teaching, in fact, I encourage you to go look for it. There are so many places within First Baptist Church that we're teaching good things. And there's places even outside of the church where you can go to get good things and uh, understand those things. Seek out some good teaching. Right? Hold on to um, the faith in Christ. Hold on here. Let me find my notes. <laughs> Guard the good treasure that you have been given with the help of the Holy Spirit. Hold on to the love and faith of Christ. These things will help your faith blossom and grow and it will give you a faith that you can stand on and will last even through the difficult times. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come to you in faith and we count on those moments when we feel Your presence and know You are there. And we, we ask God that You would help us to hang on to it. And we thank You, God, that we have not only our own self-discipline, but we have the encouragement of this community and each other that really is a source of strength in the midst of all the challenges we have to our faith. Be with us as we grow in You. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.